We're diving into oil and gas earnings on this energy edition of Industry Focus. Greetings, fools. I am Sean O'Reilly here at Fool Headquarters in Alexandria, Virginia. It is uh, November 5th, 2015. Boy, we got a new month here going, guys. I didn't even notice. Oh, my God. And uh, with been? me... With with me for the first time in over two weeks is Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman. Uh, nice to have the game back, boys. Yeah, yeah, we're here. A little bit more complete show, I guess, huh? Yeah, Hopefully. a little bit. We had a good time. I don't know. It was fine. Um, so we're now in the thick of earnings season, and uh, I don't know, it's only been a couple of weeks, but we've missed a bunch of releases. Um, so first off, I'm anxious to get your guys' thoughts on what companies have impressed you so far uh, this uh, this earnings season. Um, well, so I was talking with Tyler before the show about Sam Producers. And I had gotten my companies mixed up. I thought it was Carbo. Turns out it was U.S. Silica. So I went back and looked, and yes, indeed, um, one sand producer actually did do fairly well this this quarter, despite a terrible quarter for their energy and materials. The sector itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they had the best quarter, it says, in 115 years for its industrial and specialty products distribution line. So it just shows the the advantage that you have with diversification, kind of like how we've been talking about looking at oil majors in a, in a supremely down market because they offer natural hedges, whereas this company seems to be doing quite all right, even though you look at the 52-week chart and you, you think that the management is probably hiding in a hole somewhere. Um, they've, they've been performing um, outside of their biggest segment, which is obviously oil and gas. Cool. What about I you, think, I think performing well might be a... Uh, performing well under the certain conditions yeah right yeah it's all you look at high crush partners and the and the carbo ceramics which is what i was thinking was this company um turns out those companies are still doing fairly poorly yeah one of the things that u.s silica certainly has going for it in relation to its others is just that you know it's got a much cleaner balance sheet you know so you know if you look at some of the other guys their interest payments are going to get a little heavy in the coming years if we don't or this coming year if we don't see a big uptick in uh in oil and gas activity anytime soon, that's for sure. Yikes. Um, so what segment that's 115 years old? Because you're talking about uh, the, the U.S. Silica Holdings and everything, and they make the sand for fracking and stuff, right? Yeah, so they also um, they have like a specialty product segment, which has a, a deeper variety of customers. It's not nearly the same top-line number that we're talking about, but um, it's – I don't know all of the customers that they're dealing with, but it's not it's outside of the oil and gas sector. Got it. Okay. Have any of the uh, oil majors surprised you guys at all? To the upside, I should say. Well, we talked about Shell like what was it last week or the before yeah. and they continue to surprise to the downside by writing off We don't know how they're doing this badly. <laughs> <laughs> um I you know when you're talking about the Shell thing, it's kind of one of those ripping off some very very some band-aids that have been hit there for a very very long time right. and uh, you know the hard thing you have to try to wrap your head around with with Shell is they're trying to reshape themselves for this upcoming BG merger that's supposed to finalize in a couple quarters. And, you know, what they're saying is we want to shed a lot of things that we were doing previously, we which we don't see as, as profitable. But with this BG merger, you know, they're making this huge push into LNG. If you look at their LNG portfolio with BG on board, they're more than double uh, any other oil major in the space. And so, you know, with that much leverage there, they're really trying to push that. And they've got a huge uh, a tie to deep 
uh, deep offshore, mostly related to Brazil. You know, that's yeah. going to be a big push for them. So it's they're one of those ones where you're like, yeah, this thing's going to get rough and – anybody looking at this probably needs to wait until we see what happens post BG merger because it's making so many moves right now it's right. it's hard to you know take a pulse exactly on what you want you want this company to be in terms of an investment yeah I'm glad we went this direction um, we of course talked about shell a bit last week we didn't get your thoughts because you were busy down in Houston um, do you think that's a good move given that uh, the you know the cleanliness of natural gas as a fuel and you know the 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 push towards being a greener planet and all that stuff and just the cost i mean it is a very cheap fuel right now i mean is this smart given their bungling of the oil sands and antarctica if if you look at the anticipated demand for lng it looks like the right idea the only question is is if they can bring on enough profitable uh ventures in which to do it i mean it's one of the things that um Actually, the CEO mentioned a couple quarters ago in their uh, a conference call. He's like, "Look, we think this is great, but you know, we can't invest simply on the fact that it's a greener alternative. It actually has to make some money for us." Right. And so, one of the things that you know they're really looking at investing in this end is not just the you know the terminals and stuff like that, but they're also looking at the marketing because it's going to be a huge. Uh, issue to deal with because if you look at like you said the prices have declined significantly uh, because we've brought so many new projects online in coming years they're going to have to find that effective way of finding the markets that need it the most and are going to be able to actually pay a premium you know it, the thought was it was going to be china but it may not exactly be that way so we it's going to be like i said interesting it's worth watching because right. we don't exactly know how it's going to turn out yet cool before we move on to what uh what few more companies have disappointed on the downside this past quarter i wanted to point our listeners to the newly redesigned focus.fool.com all industry focused listeners have access to a special discount on stock advisor that works out to 129 dollars for a full two-year subscription let's go to focus.fool.com to take advantage of this offer once again that is focus.fool.com um so guys we've already talked about a few companies that surprised you guys on the upside flirted with a little bit with shell mm-hmm. any other companies that disappointed you and Made you rethink your previous bullishness. They didn't disappoint me to the fact that I'm rethinking my bullishness, but it kind of caught off guard in a, in a negative aspect. Uh, Solar City. Um, how did I know you were going to go there? Down big on. I think it was twenty uh, percent fr- Friday. Right? Yeah, it was... not because it had anything terrible to say. They're just kind of changing the strategy a little bit. They're actually going to be profitable rather than growing. Which one like would wildfire. think? Yeah, they just had so much growth priced in, and I think. Um, the fact that people probably saw that they're trimming their growth forecast mm-hmm. and then just kind of forgot about the fact that they're planning on being cash flow positive for the first time, right? Um, which I think is definitely a benefit long term. Unfortunately, this company has been a giggity get a giggity growth stock, right? For ever Wall since Street its inception, wants free cash flow generate. Like, why are they? Fools love free cash flow, well. right? I mean, that's what we want. And so, long term, I'm still very bullish you on this are, company. Okay. But uh, I mean, I saw they said that they've installed more solar installations than the next seventy competitors combined. So they're doing something right. Right. They're going to continue to grow. They're not abandoning growth. Um, they're just. I think they're preparing, and they've stated they're preparing for the end of the or the reduction in the investment tax credit at the end of this coming. I'm year. kind of surprised that's going away. So well, it's going from thirty percent to ten percent. So yeah. it's still. Sl- I mean, 
That's a it's not nearly as hit. meaningful. That's, yeah, because yeah, only a ten percent tax credit. But um, and they said that sales uh, is getting more costly because of competition. So they're going to focus on reducing the cost of making a sale. Uh, focus on lower cost sales and also focusing on the commercial market, which they're only about eight percent of right now. So they're they're expanding into new markets. They're just not focusing on residential growth as heavily. Yeah. Well, like you said, one of the things that was a big, I guess you could say red flag, I guess, for investors, not just, or, you know, Wall Street, whoever. One of the things that if you look Day at Day traders. <laughs> whoever you want to say that, you know, reacted so negatively to the, to the release was the fact that if you look at their cost per watt development, like you said, sales, mm-hmm. general administrative, uh, administrative costs over that quarter had grown substantially to the point where it was starting to, you know, hamper profitability. If you look at the cost per system, you know, the amount that it takes for installation, uh, the, you know, procurement of solar panels and stuff like that, that has gone down rather impressively and actually has beaten their goals so far. But the fact that their sales had gotten so high, basically, you know, the cost to doing a lot of higher. Yeah. The the cost to acquire was getting to the point where it didn't make as much sense yeah. to grow at gangbusters. And to be fair, um, one of the things that if you look at their growth targets previously, you know, they were I believe it was somewhere in the high sixties mm-hmm. per year. And this is just investor presentations right. that they broadcast it. Yeah, their yeah. their compounded annual growth rate they were anticipating was in the sixties. But what they had been doing previously was 100%. Yeah, they've been doubling they've over been the last doubling five years. For the past but we're years. still talking about tripling your size every two, three. Like. Right. Yeah. So they've, they've. Not the worst thing. <laughs> they've, they've cut from high 60s down to 40%. So let's just be clear here 40% doubling year every two of, years. Uh, compounded annual fine. growth rate. It's still pretty good. Yeah. Still wow. pretty good. And they're going to be generating cash on top of that 40%. Is that at least as their hope? Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, so uh, we're about, I don't know, halfway through earnings season. Um, any trends within the energy industry itself that you noticed this quarter? Um, one of the trends that I was very surprised at, and, well, maybe not completely surprised, but a little more of a, uh, I guess you could say, it's a greater reaction than I would have thought, is you're seeing a lot of rig companies um you know, your Transoceans, your Diamond Offshores, companies like that, they've been taking on new contracts for rigs, which sounds great. But if you look at the rates at which they're taking them, they are at bargain basement prices. Who's who's doing this? Uh, you, what you're getting is um, some, some exploration production companies, not necessarily your... Um, you know your big oil companies, maybe some of the smaller independent oil producers, mostly outside of the United States. Uh, you know, yeah. guys like Tullow Oil, which is a British company, Dana Petroleum, things like that. They're you know taking a flyer on these super cheap rigs. I mean, we've seen a couple. You know, just for giving an example, Ensco. I think it was last quarter. They had a couple jackups rigs, which you know, working in the North Sea, will normally generate one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars a day. That's been the average. For a jackup rig, you know, in the area, this past quarter they took on contracts for fifty thousand dollars a day. Wow! And the idea is, is they're just going to keep them working right. to a certain degree, other than just you know keeping them stacked and paying out money. At least in this way, you can you know almost I would say more or less break even. I was about to say, that. are they at least servicing debts and depreciation with it, this fifty thousand a day? I think the greater I, it, it's not necessarily servicing anything other than preventing from having to pay the costs of keeping it stacked in the yeah. in the in the yard. 
Yeah. You know, there there are costs associated with these things, you know, not at work. And so just getting a contract to keep them working and not have to pay those is slightly beneficial. Um, and what it kind of showed me when I saw these was says that I think these companies are really bracing for a longer downturn than I think they had originally inspected, anticipated even back in 2014. You know, you saw some companies saying this is going to get rough for us. And now we're a year in and they're still like this could still get a lot worse for us. Yeah. Mine is short and sweet. Natural gas continues. It's at like a near five year low right now. It's crazy. It's, yeah. It's just like oil. We just it's have a, so it's we just have so um, no, at last I saw it was like just above buck, okay. it bucks eighty, buck ninety. But that is the spot market price. Yeah, right. Because a lot of companies, um, I, just for an example, uh, Chevron this past quarter, their realized natural gas price was a buck ninety three. Oh, and so you know you're seeing a lot of exploration production companies just barely, not in in some cases actually losing money on every yep. BTU that they produce. That's and apparently, crazy. you know, natural gas is the future of power. It's the future of the chemical industry, and yet when it's price, that cheap, it can be. Yeah, the future. When, when that, it's, it's the just future crazy to think that it was thirteen bucks six years ago. Stop me, seven, two thousand twelve. Yeah, even worse. Like, <laughs> well, we saw we saw bottoming bottoming in two thousand twelve because yeah. of you know there was a glut of rigs, and we it was actually very similar to what we're seeing today. In oil, although yeah. it's just you know taking a little bit longer to clear. Like in 2012, we had this. Everybody was talking about natural gas and how great it's going to be, and people were giving natural gas companies all the money in the world to go out and drill. And then you well, know, and they drilled too much. Drilled, drilled too much. <laughs> now there's too much. Lo and behold, yeah. and we're getting the same thing again today, where there's just there's too much gas right now and not enough, um, not enough demand, especially in the United States, because we haven't seen a lot of those LNG facilities actually fire up and when those do that's a lot of demand that's, right, that's right. gonna start to we saw the spot out. price almost three bucks at the beginning of the quarter and now yeah. it's below two what's been surprising to me uh you know just in the last couple of months has been the diversity of opinions within the oil and gas sector um you know i was thinking this the whole time when we were in houston tyler um you got guys like the sea of core labs and um you know a couple of gentlemen that we spoke to and they're somewhat bullish they're like this is silly this is not going to last da 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 da, da. but then you have these rig companies and you have um a, lot, a couple of the majors um names you know skip my mind right now but they're like yeah this is going to be lower for long you had bp saying it's going to be the end of the decade or something before oil recovers and all that stuff i'm like wow these these guys nobody actually knows what's going on just Based, evidenced by the diversity of opinions. Well, you could consider it the hope for the best, plan for the worst sort of situation. Well, and, I, and I was like, is are, are the rig guys and a lot of the majors saying it's going to go till 2018 or 2019 that oil is going to be below 50 bucks? Is that just them lowering expectations? I mean, I, I, I'm sure that there is a certain element of that. I, I, I would actually feel better with a management team that is bracing for the fact that it could last that long. Right. Rather than one being like, hey, 2016, we're going to do great because everything's going to turn right around. Don't right. worry about it. Because um, you can't know that. Exactly. Nobody knows. And to, to be conservative today and position yourself to be ready when it actually does turn, I think, is a, is a better place to be than to you know, kind of put it on snake eyes and see what happens. <laughs> put it all on black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anything else uh, piquing your guys' interest this earnings season? Um, not necessarily earnings season, but over the next couple quarters, Halliburton and Baker Hughes still up in the air. 
It's a never-ending argument uh, going on now for just over a year. Um, What's the longest it's taken regulators to approve something? I don't know. Well, so they've been approved in Canada, (laughs) Colombia, South Africa, Turkey, all these countries. But um, Australia apparently is uh, voicing some negative opinions on the deal. Um, even though some of the assets these two companies are selling were based in Australia, Australia yeah. um, and then Jeff- Jeffrey's analysts lowered their estimates, the sixty-seven percent chance that this deal passes, but their focus was on uh, Europe not approving it. So, got it. I-, I was not surprised that regulators have been pushing back on this a little bit because of how much market share, you know, the combination of Baker Hughes and Halliburton have. I was I'm more surprised at the regions where we're seeing resistance. If you look at Baker Hughes and Halliburton's you know, portfolio, they're very, very levered to North America, the United yeah, States, right. and Canada. Um, my thought was is that if we were going to see regulatory resistance, it was going to be in the United States and Canada just simply because so much of what they do is based in that area. Yeah. Um, you know, Not surprised that it's happening, but surprised where it's happening. Got it. Um, the two companies are still very much bullish on the fact that it's going to go through. But what's the breakup fee on that? Just in three case. billion dollars. So if it doesn't go through, Halliburton has to pay Baker Hughes three billion dollars. But what's, that's not what's gonna, the over That's under? not going to make what's up the for the market under? share they've gained based on the deal acquisition. So the share price is still going to suffer if this doesn't yeah. go through. Yeah. Um, and then going into 2016, I think something that could be really interesting, worth watching, is um, watching what the capital spending habits of exploration production companies. Um, most notably, of course, I, at least for me, because I have a tendency to follow them a little bit more as the uh, big oil companies, integrated majors. Um, so many of them built out five-year development plans back in like 2013, 2012, which ended in 2017. And we're kind of getting close to that time. And it'll be interesting to see what those companies view for their future from 2017 out to 2020, 2021, because, you know, it'd be that basically the next five-year plan for them. Um, If we have any indication, uh, Chevron has been um, very, very bearish on their spending in in the next couple of years. If you look at one of the announcements they had this past quarter was, you know, we're going to trim which is anticipated to be $35 billion this year in terms of total spending. Uh, in 2016 tw- or 2017 and beyond, they're looking in the 20 to $24 billion range. So we're looking at a, you know, as much that's as... That's a cut. That's, that's a big that's cut. A chunk, $14 yeah. billion dollars or $15 billion off of your capital spending in two years. That's a really big deal. And for investors looking forward, that I think you could see a nice boom in terms of profitability for these companies in that 2017 range, all of these projects they just finished up are coming online and they're not but they're spending eating a lot into of reserves. Money. So long term, but long term, the question is: is if you're not spending the money to develop, you know what's going to happen in that 2021 sort of right. sort of time frame? Cool, very good. Well, boys, it was a pleasure chatting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good one. Yep. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. And if you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. For Tyler Crow and Taylor Muckerman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! <laughs>